using the pandemic to refocus your vision. I'm going to go ahead and uh, dive right in. I don't know if we were start at 12.30 or 12.15 or 12.45. If we get done early, no one's going to complain, right? Just like, your, just like your people who come on Sundays. No one gets mad if you end a few minutes early. How often do you do that, Scott? Do you try and get out of there in a little, just a couple minutes? Yeah. Right. Um, everybody can hear me okay? Are you okay with, so I don't need to use this? I, I don't want to turn it on if I don't have to. That's all right. I'm a, it's enough, I have enough wires on me right now. So let's see, that's my phone. This is this. So um, thanks for coming. I always wonder when you do these workshops if anybody will show up. Uh, so it's kind of like Sunday morning. So grateful to know that at least, you know, some of you decided to poke your head in here and, and learn a little bit about what we're learning as we're dealing with the stuff that we've, you know, all this new stuff. Um, so for those of you, if you make sure you're in the right place, this is using the pandemic to refocus your vision. Um, so if you're, if that's not what you're here for, or if you don't want to stay, just feel free to go at any time. Um, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. This is actually a little bit of an old picture, but, um, but my name is Jay Mitchell. So I'm the one of the senior executive search consultants at Vanderblumen. Um, just a little bit of my background and history and uh, of how I got here. Um, met the Lord in college at UCLA. Uh, felt called to ministry as I was serving in campus ministry. Was connected to the Presbyterian world through um, some family uh, friends and so and a mentor who was a Presbyterian pastor and so went into didn't feel called to campus ministry. Felt called to the church and uh, got went to Fuller. Um, was ordained in the, the PCUSA, served in two, um, two Presbyterian churches, both of whom are no longer in the PCUSA. One is um, First Presbyterian Church of Orlando, where I was, uh, which is now EPC, and Menlo Church, which is now um, ECO. And I was executive pastor at Menlo for about nine years, served there while we were doing a lot of, a lot of high growth there. And then, um, you know, in my late 30s and... Uh, I had a buddy who was in venture capital and he thought it would be, you know, I could help him start a new company. And so I said, that sounds like fun at 38. And I did that in 2000, the end of 2000. So if anybody remembers 2000, that was not the best time to make a decision like that. So, um, so left, uh, went into the marketplace, worked in a startup company in San Francisco for two years as the bubble had just like, we literally opened our doors a month after the bubble burst. So my job was basically, I was a, a business ops guy, so my job was to not spend the $3 million that the venture people had given us until we figured out what we wanted to be when we grew up. So the company lasted about three years longer than most, but I didn't make it. And then um, about two years in, I started working for a company called Church Communication Network, which was a broadcast network that brought content to churches via satellite. Some of you probably had, your churches may have had our dish on your roof, and we would do like the Willow Creek Summit and Saddleback Conferences and Bethmore events and et cetera. Um, 2010, I was just telling the story. Um, the world changed again, another sea change in the world of the economy, and our company didn't make it. Um, we tried to change our engine while the car was moving, and it just didn't work, and so we shut it down. And I found myself, uh, for the first time in my life, without a job and wondering what I should do. So I'm consulting and I'm doing some other stuff. And that's when I met William Vanderblumen. Vanderblumen had started in 2008 uh, with William sitting across a table, a card table with his wife saying, 2008, I think this is a good time to start a company. Uh, so he did. And uh, so he was just sort of working on his own for a couple of years. He'd come out of a, uh, had been at First Press Houston and then had started this company. And so I was, um, the first person not connected to the Vanderblumen family that was part of the company. So, uh, and I'm still the only person not named Vanderblumen that's still with the company from those days. So it was William and Adrian and uh, his brother-in-law and then me and then a woman named um, um, Tammy uh, Kelly who had been at Willow Creek and been, had been running Willow uh, for Bill Hybels for a while. So we started, so that's how we started. So I've, it'll be 11 years in September that I joined the company. So in that time, I've done, I don't know, 200, almost 300 searches. I've probably interviewed 3,000 people. You know, um, uh, I've, I've been in churches, everything from 
you know, the most conservative Presbyterian or denominational church you can imagine to the most non-conservative denominational church you can imagine, uh, as well as you know, places where we wonder if they're going to hide the snakes when we show up to, you know, to places where, you know, you wonder if they've ever heard the word grace ever in their lives. So um, the whole spectrum of the kingdom, we get to poke our heads in. I was telling these guys earlier that one of the, the joys of this, um, of this work is that I get to see God at work all across the country and literally across the world in searches, Africa and Canada and Europe. And, and so um, when people say, how do, you, you know, how do you feel about the state of the church? Um, because there's a lot of negative stuff that goes around about the church and understandably and for and, and so and for some cases for good reason I'm always very encouraged by what I see happening in the church I see God at work in so many different places that I I, I just uh, it just brings me a lot of joy so um, to see that God's doing you know there are places where troubles happening we'll talk a little bit about that but for the most part God is doing great things and he's doing great things within the Presbyterian world I end up doing a lot of work within the Presbyterian world because of my background you know uh, as a ordained Presbyterian guy uh, in my past so I've worked with PCA churches and EPC churches and eco churches and PCUSA churches and Orthodox Presbyterian <laughs> You know, you name it. So, so I always, but I always love, you know, doing stuff with my tribe because these are, these are my people. And so when I get to do, be a part of the EPC General Assembly, which I've done these workshops, different kinds of workshops over the last several years, it's just been a lot of fun. So, so that's a bit of my background. Our, our firm is about, uh, back up to maybe about 30 people right now. We're adding staff. We're very, very busy. Uh, we've got seven or eight consultants now. We're looking for another one. Um, the work we're getting, we have a lot of work, which is wonderful uh, because there was a season, as you all know, you know, maybe a year and a half ago where we didn't, nobody, no one knew if we were going to make it because, you know, no one knew what the world was going to become. But it turns out, you know, there's need for people like us right now. So that's a bit of my background and how I ended up here and why I'm, you know, I guess, I guess that's why I'm qualified to talk to you. I don't know. We'll see. So um, there's a line that we've heard a few times, but. You know, when someone comes to you and says, why did you do that? And you go, well, you have to excuse me. This is my first pandemic, right? <laughs> None of us, unless you were around in, say, you know, 1918, uh, which I don't look around the room. I don't think any of us were. You know, we've never had to go through this before. So there's so much stuff that we've had to deal with, so many things that we've, uh, you know, had to do that we hadn't planned on doing. That um, so, And we got a lot of things right, but we also got a lot of things wrong. And we also got a lot of people mad at us for all kinds of reasons. And sometimes they're mad at us, not because of anything we did, but because they're just mad. And, uh, and you all, if you've been in, you know, as pastors and elders and people who are in leadership, you've had to deal with that. And, uh, and, and there are things you, you know, they certainly didn't teach you when you were in seminary. Um, we've had to navigate things we've never had to navigate before, right? So first it was, how do we go from meeting in person every week to being online every week? So that's a pivot we all had to make. Uh, we had to go, we had to fight the, do we wear masks, do we not wear masks? And the people who were mad about whichever way we decided to go with that. Um, we had to go uh, to figure out how do we do spiritual formation now because we're not meeting together and how do we do groups? And so we had to navigate those sorts of things. We had to, and then on top of all of that, the political stuff that we faced, the racial stuff that happened in the last year, I mean, these are things that I don't know about you, for those of you who have you know, been to seminary, I don't think my seminary ever thought to even think about teaching me about how to handle those kinds of you know, complex issues. So we've had to do a lot of things, and the word that has been most commonly used is pivot. We have had to pivot in ways we've never had to pivot before. And I think um, that's a, that's, that was hard. Uh, that was tiring. We'll talk a little bit about what we're seeing out, you know, in the world in a, in a bit about the trends we're seeing as we walk with churches in different parts of the country. But we've had to pivot. We've had to make changes, and um, we weren't necessarily equipped for it. Uh, in some cases, we didn't, you know, like in our company, you know, when when churches aren't hiring, that means they don't hire us. And when they don't have a lot of resources, they can't afford to hire us, even if they need somebody. Because, and so we didn't have any idea in March whether, you know, what, what was gonna happen because we had built our model based on sort of an up and to the right thing that we had seen for the last 10 years or, or eight years. And suddenly that 
potential change. Now, things turned around for us pretty quickly and churches had to figure out when we weren't meeting in person, will people keep giving? Well, we found that, you know, as we were resourcing, you know, uh, resourcing churches that people continued to give and people were able to keep the lights on even though there were some layoffs and things like that. Um, but in the midst of all of that, we had to turn, we had to change a lot of things and, and change is hard for everybody. Change is hard for us, but it's really hard for our people. So uh, we had to learn this, this pivot. I wanted to talk briefly as we get into this is just some of the things that, cause I get asked this a lot when I go into churches and they say, well, what are you seeing out there? Like what are the trends uh, that, that you're seeing amongst churches as we're coming out of the pandemic, um, slowly eking our way back into what, you know, whatever is gonna, what it's going to become. What are we seeing? A couple things that we're seeing, high levels of burnout, depression, uh, and anxiety. So you guys were just in a session talking about soul care for the pastor. Um, the, um, the number of incidents of anger and, and uh, fights and uh, that you see on, like I'm on a plane every week and the amount of intensity that you feel from people, it's, it's beyond what it was normative, right? And you're experiencing that in your churches, but pastors are experiencing this too. Uh, uh, we're seeing, um, I mean, a, a lot of pastors are choosing to take their sabbatical now. Um, and part of that is because they just need it. They just have to have time away because the pressures of the last 18 months have been uh, really unprecedented. And how do you keep going? The grind. A lot of guys, uh, male and female, who are preaching every week, ended up preaching every week in ways they hadn't before because they could. Because you could do it by video. You could shoot five messages and roll them out over a period of time. And maybe you did that, but you didn't get the time off you typically had. Um, taking a vacation just didn't, one, where were you going to go? <laughs> right? It's like, no. If you have a staycation, so you just, guys, you just didn't get the kind of um, breathing room that you were used to. And, uh, and in addition to that, all the people you were serving are also feeling angry and despondent and frustrated and scared. And so they're acting out and they're taking it out on you and we're dealing with how do we handle the race issue? How do we handle the politics issue? So um, we've had to come into places where pastors have committed suicide. Uh, pastors have had heart attacks, have had health issues, and we are invited to come into those sacred spaces and help navigate those with the churches that we work with. Um, and then it's just, I interview people all the time, and I'm, you know, one of the questions I'm asking is like, how, how you been doing? Like, how's your family? Because it's just been really hard. So we're seeing unprecedented amounts of anxiety, depression, um, anger, uh, just a lot of mental health issues that need to be addressed. And so, um, and we're, we talk about that a lot in our interviews with candidates because we wanna figure out, you know, just moving to a new place doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you take the same stuff with you. And so if you can't talk about that stuff in a healthy way, how you've handled it, how you are handling it, how you're caring for your soul, how you're gonna, you know, just moving to a new place doesn't change the stuff that you're bringing with you. So we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, you're probably seeing it on your staff. You're probably seeing it amongst your people. So that's one of the trends that we're seeing. We're seeing staff turnover at every level. Starting with the senior pastor uh, and, work, and going all the way you know, down the org chart, senior pastors who are in their late 50s, early 60s, mid 60s, who were not planning to retire or leave ministry for any, any season are now seriously thinking about how they're going to get out, or in some cases, just pulling the, you know, pulling the pin, pulling the ripcord, I'm out. And churches are finding themselves without a pastor unexpectedly in a season where you really can't be without a pastor. It's good for us. We have a lot of work to do, but it's really hard on the church. We're seeing um, what we call COVID casualties. Um, and these aren't necessarily people, they're casualties from, I'm burned out. I, can't, I don't think I can do this anymore. I had a, I did a I just finished a search for a church in Dallas. The senior pastor was in his, it was in his mid, early mid sixties, had a lot of, had a lot of gas left in the tank, but he just said, look, you know, this is my first pandemic and I don't know what to do after this. I don't have a vision for what the church is going to become. 
I think there needs to be a younger guy who's going to come in here and, and help. In this case, it was a guy to come in and help lead this place because I don't know what to do. He's just like, I'm, I'm tired and I, I just need to get out. And I'm seeing that from a lot of pastors who also, um, because of the mental health things um, and also just saying, I, just, I saw a little bit of my own mortality. I'm doing a succession plan for a pastor in Virginia who is in his, and maybe he's a, it's a Presbyterian church, um, it's a PCA, and he's been there for 25 years and he had planned to stay for another five years, but he started seeing people that he knew and loved um, get sick and die. Some died from COVID, some just got distressed, just got to him, some just got sick. And he's like, you know what? Life's too short. I've had a good ministry. I'm, it's time for me to spend some time with my family. So we're seeing a lot of that in senior pastors, but not just senior pastors. You're seeing a lot of staff people move around. Um, sometimes some of them got laid off during this and they're trying to find out the next thing, but some are choosing to leave the roles that they're in, even though they're relatively happy because they want to move near family. We're seeing geographic movement of staff in a way we hadn't seen before. Um, you know, I always, as you know, in my job, I get a little annoyed when someone goes, well, I want to live west of Memphis, but not too far west, because, you know, like I'd be like, oh, that's the spirit of Abram, right? Like, let's go to the land that people, you know, it's like, way, way to follow the Lord's leading in, in this geographic region. So I don't say that out loud, but I do say it privately to people. I'm like, okay, so where's the whole, I got, I'll, I'll go where you call me. But people are saying, look, my kids haven't seen their grandparents in over a year. And I realized in the pandemic that I need to be closer to family. I just, I want our kids to grow up near family in some way, shape or form. So we're seeing geographic relocation in a way I hadn't seen in the last 10 years. Um, so, uh, so staff members are moving for those reasons, to be closer to family because they missed that connection. Now, if it were me, I'd be like, okay, I, my, my family lives in California, so Virginia sounds about like a great place for me, right? <laughs> That's my own family dysfunction. We don't need to go into it, but some of you are therapists, so maybe you could help me. Um, so, so we're seeing staff turnover at all levels, and so churches are gonna have to deal with that. Um, some of that's really not bad, um, I think, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. I think that provides an opportunity for the church to staff up in a way they hadn't before, to think about staffing in a way it hadn't before, um, thinking outside the boxes of we, well, how we had already thought about that. We're seeing an increased need for communication, media, production, video, right? When COVID hit, everybody had to pivot. We had to go from, you know, from in the room to multiple rooms. We had to do, start doing Zoom. We had to move and realize in, in churches that had already started doing video production, if they, had, if they were multi-site or multi-venue, or if they just gotten ahead of the curve and realized that everybody watches your stuff on, you know, want, before they show up, they're gonna watch what you do or listen to you. Those folks were able to make that pivot pretty well. Those who you know, weren't prepared are realizing, man, we, we were behind the eight ball, we lost some people, we lost resources, we, we did a, you know, having an iPhone in the back of the room filming <laughs> is just not gonna cut it in 2020. So people, so we're doing a lot of searches right now for media, for communications people, because how do you communicate with people when you're not seeing them every week? You can't, you don't do announcements the way you did announcements. So how do you, you know, people who would do you know, email things, but that didn't even work. So how do we get information in front of people that's useful, that's gonna actually help them stay engaged? And what about marketing? What about branding? What about um, you know, SEO? You know, so how, you know, the, all the media metrics that businesses use to track people and to track engagement. Churches, we never did, churches never did that. We didn't try, we tracked engagement by how many people showed up on Sunday morning and how many kids were in our children's ministry and how many students were in our high school ministry, right? We weren't, and we'd say, well, we're a church of whatever, you know, Menlo, we were like, we'd say five, 6,000, right? But, but that's, the, that's the universe, but we had no way of knowing if that was actually accurate. You know, membership is how we track those things, but we all know membership's a pretty fudged number, you know, sometimes those are dogs and, you know, ser service animals that showed up. Um, so, or people we, you know, people who are in the choir who also came to service, so, you know, we're double counting people all the time. So, so how do we track engagement? Well, 
churches figured out, man, we need to get with it. We need to figure out how do we track that? Branding, graphic design, all that stuff. We're doing a ton of work in churches all across the country now for this role of um, communication, branding, marketing, uh, visual arts, um, production, technology. That's just, you know, across the board we're seeing that. Maybe you're seeing that in some of your churches. We're also seeing um, an increased need for spiritual formation, discipleship, and connection. So I would get, a, um, I had a lot of searches during COVID where I'd have a church come to me and say, and still do, I'm doing multiple, money, several of these right now, where they would say, what we realized when we stopped meeting in person is that we didn't have a way for our people to stay connected. So we didn't have a really solid small group ministry. We didn't have a training thing. We didn't have a leadership network. We didn't have a way to communicate with those people. We didn't know how to way to train them and equip them so that relationships could keep going post, you know, during the pandemic when we couldn't see them face to face in our buildings. And so, um, and spiritual formation pathways, how do we help people grow? How do we help them develop, become more like Jesus? Um, maybe we thought, well, if they just come to services on Sunday morning and then maybe they go to a Sunday school class or they get into some sort of you know, uh, service opportunity, they're gonna, they're gonna grow, but nobody had really thought through the pathway. So we're doing a ton of work now with this connection, engagement, people-to-people uh, -people stuff as, as people are coming back into the, um, into, onto the place, into the uh, buildings we're able to get, you know, how do we get them connected? How do we um, stay connected to them? But also, how do we stay them, have them connected when they're not here? So we're, doing a, we're seeing a lot of that in churches right now. We're also seeing an increased interest in missional expression over attractional um, ministry. So where it used to be, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, um, how do we get them to our church? It's, now it's a lot of churches, and I see about a 50-50 split right now where their churches are like, great, why, you know, I, why, why do we need them to be here? Let's go to where they are. So let's go out into the community. Let's have impact there where people have needs. How do we reach people who don't come here? There's a church I'm working with in, in California, just about to close a senior pastor search. And um, we always ask people to do a video and uh, to sort of highlight, you know, what they, what they do and who they are and why this would be an attractive opportunity at senior pastor search. And they said, wow, I looked at all your videos and it's all the, you know, it's the drone shot that goes around the building and shows this cool building. And then it's, you know, and then it's people in the building, you know, kids doing the hand motions and it's people in the worship service and things like that. And he goes, we're all about being outside the walls. I, we have a building and it's a nice building, but like, I, I don't want to put anything about our building on this. I want somebody who's thinking, how do we get our people out there serving in schools and neighborhoods and communities and connecting with people who aren't here yet? So I'm seeing that across the board. Mission, you know, people, but it's about 50-50. People who are trying to get people back in the building, people who are trying to get out the walls. And I'll tell you my opinion about that. You probably already guessed it, um, what that is. So subtle that way. Um, we're also seeing a shift in preaching style from in the room to in many rooms. So, you know, when I was in seminary, you know, we did our preaching class and we stood up in front and we had the lectern and we had the people and they were taking notes, right? And when I was, you know, in ministry as, at a church, that's what we did. And people there taking notes, had their Bible and all of that. Um, when I was doing television stuff, I'd always have to talk to some of the best communicators on the planet, you know, great pastors, speakers, you know, guys who did conferences. And I would say, the, you have to understand that the 600 people who are in this room are a fraction of the people who are watching this message. So every once in a while, you have to say, you have to look at the camera, which they hated to do, and you know, find the red light, look at the camera and say, wherever you're watching this, if you're in your living room, if you're in your, your sanctuary, and you would be surprised at how hard it was for people who were trained and gifted communicators to not just be doing what I'm doing right now, but really, and want you to feel included, is that if I don't do look at that camera, which there isn't one, but if there was a camera right there, I would need to spend most of my time looking at that camera and not worrying about you. It's a skill set that they don't teach you anywhere. Like, but you've had to learn it, right? You've had to learn how to look at a camera and speak at the camera and not have it respond to you. It's really, really hard if you've ever had to do it. Really hard, but you have to learn how to speak to people in many rooms. Um, Kerry Newhoff, and I'll quote him in a little bit, but Kerry, Kerry would say, um, 
If you don't realize that everybody who comes to, who um, will ever come to your church is, gonna, is thinking about coming to your church is gonna watch you on video before they show up, then you're gonna miss it. Because, so you have to make sure your online presence, why the communication technology piece is so important. You need to speak to those people, you need to speak at them, and it is a skill set that is learned. You know, some people are natural at it, but it can be learned. So that needs to be a great expression. So we're seeing, instead of just thinking, you know, walking around the room like I'm doing and looking at different people and engaging with them, and I always like to find the person who was not asleep, the few people that were not asleep when I was preaching, and find that person who was looking like they're engaged, usually it was my wife, and I at least feel like I got a little bit of feedback. But you don't get that from the camera. So you've got to be able to generate a little bit of that on your own. It's great to have people in the room and hear noises. And it's much, you know, I'm sure going back into, into services, it probably feels wonderful to have people actually laugh out loud when you speak, um, if they ever do that. But, um, but you're going to, you know, so you're starting to, the shift is, is happening and it's not, it's not going to go back. It's not going to change, right? Um, all right, so those are just trends. Any questions about any of the trends that you're, you know, just as long as we're talking about trends and it's one, a question I get a lot. Anything else that you're noticing that I didn't mention that you're seeing out there? Or anything you want me to, add, you know, any question you had about that? Yeah. So early on in the pandemic, Andy Crouch published a, a thing about the snowstorm, the blizzard, and uh, I don't know how many of us saw that, but, you know, but, we started with the blizzard, then it was winter, and, and then coming out of it, it's something different. And he quoted some stats that um, that I, I would just love to hear from others in the room if you're seeing the same kind of thing. He said that as a result of the pandemic, 20% of your people will be with you regardless. 20% will be gone regardless. They were kind of peripheral to begin with. 20% will be new, which may be some of the 20% of somebody else's peripheral. And 40% will come back once everything is sort of, they're more consumeristic, as it were. Right. Do you have any comment on that? Have you seen any trends like that? Yeah, I'd say, and what I'm hearing most often is that, um, you know, churches are back to, that are, that have, you know, that are, I think everybody's pretty much open now. It's around 60 to 70%. So I think those numbers hold up, that they've yeah. lost about 20%, that, and there'll probably be some that'll come back, there might, but there are some new people coming. Um, I think what happened, but yeah, I would say that uh, that is accurate. I mean, I, I think just anecdotally, I don't have the stats, but anecdotally, that's what I'm seeing. It seems to be in our situation. I was just wondering if it was true anywhere else. Yeah. Does that make any difference if your church has uh, an online, like our church is there, the sermons, and the sanctuary service is being um, mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah, and... Uh, no, no, they won't. No, it's like, um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm a Giants fan, so I follow the San Francisco Giants, which are having a great season. Thank you very much. Um, if we could end it today, I'd be happy because then we'd be in the World Series. But, um, but I'm, I follow, I have like, I follow a Facebook group that I follow, and the fact that they shifted from the, what was the regular online portal to Peacock to watch the games which is, you know, a streaming service, people are ticked. They are so mad about Peacock, which is the NBC channel, and they're, they're just mad, right? So if you take away the thing that they like, you, they will not come back, they will, be, they will just be mad at you. It's not gonna make them come, it's gonna make them mad. And I don't think any of us need more of that. So I would say, yeah, we've had plenty of mad. We're hoping to get past that, yeah. I, I was gonna say, creation is the zoom i mean multiple different levels but zoom community yeah in a sense and one thing we offered was a zoom to watch the service so some people could talk mm-hmm. to each other that were shut in and then the service would begin well we finally realized some people were just enjoying that and not so we're like we'll, we'll still make it available but that part's being shut down right now. Um, that I think the one the one part that we're continuing is the Zoom prayer group mm-hmm. because that is opposed to getting people to a location to come pray. I'm having a lot more yeah. connection of, of it, being able to pray together. Yeah, there's a church in uh, New York City, Church of the City, uh, John Tyson's church in Church of the City, huge into prayer, but they've been doing like they have like 20 to 30 prayer meetings a week. 
and it's and they have incredible engagement and they have people who are hosting each of those rooms and incredible engagement across the city through these zoom meetings and uh, I mean they have a big commitment to prayer anyway but it's um, but it's been very successful for them um, so I, I agree with that um, I think it's the thing about about zoom is that you actually see everybody's faces if you have the camera turned on um, which not everybody does but you can see people's faces so you actually engage in them in a way that you don't in a room like this even because they're up close and you can actually look at them and actually have conversations with them so so I think zoom which you know we were doing those kinds of things long before the pandemic but um, a zoom is you know the technology has improved so much that um, I think and people are used to it so there's lots of ways to use the technology again reason why there's need for people who can think creatively around technology and production and things like that to be to help connect with more people let's let's move on to um, some of the things that you know what what the topic really was which was refocusing vision post pandemic so this is what Carrie Newhoff says crisis kills vision unless you decide it won't crisis kills vision unless you decide it won't I think it's a brilliant statement so um, as soon as the crisis hit we moved from any kind of innovative thinking to just crisis mode to, to adaptation. We had to pivot, we had to adapt, we had to focus on what was right there. How many of your churches had a Vision 2020 plan? I, I, I was in, I mean, I was, I'm in hundreds of churches every year. And every church I was with was like, we're doing Vision 2020, we're gonna plant new churches, we're gonna add a new, we're gonna add this many more sites, we're gonna start these new, we're gonna engage in this kind of ministry in our city, we're gonna, we're gonna raise this much money to build this, I mean, Vision 2020 was everything. And then two months into, three months into 2020, the vision just went, right? Because all the big dreams we had were impossible to pursue, we couldn't do it anymore. And so we had to pivot to, you know, crisis mode. Well, crisis mode is not vision. Crisis mode is finding stability, surviving, it is adapting, it's pivoting, it's trying to find a way, right? So, um, so it just kills vision. Just, my, uh, I flew here from California, and as much as I was kidding about you know, not wanting to live with my family, my mom's 90, she fell a month ago. She broke four ribs, she's been healthy, no, hadn't had any issues. I mean, she's 90, so you know, you fall down, bad stuff happens. She broke four ribs, a couple in two places. Complications came from that. So she's been in the hospital for a month. Uh, my brother, who is um, not retired but not working right now uh, and has flexibility, he's been taking care of her. She's in a, now she's moved into sort of assisted living. So we were talking. I was I was out visiting her um, over the you know last few days, and my brother was like, she's trying to make a plan for what happens when she gets out, like will she ever come back to the house that I grew up in? Um, we don't think, probably not, because it's got stairs and it's all kinds of stuff. But you can't, she's like, well, where am I gonna go? Well, you can't make a plan because we don't know if she, how healthy she's gonna be. We don't really know. My brother, who's like, you know, he's, in his, he's a few years older than me, but he's got lots of work years ahead. He's like, I don't know, do I, am I gonna move back to Portland? Should I get a, you know, am I gonna pursue this job opportunity that's in front of me? I can't decide that, why? We're in crisis mode. I can't have a vision for my future when all I can think about is what I'm doing today. And that's what the last year and a half has been. And now we're coming out of that um, and we're trying to refocus our vision in a way that will allow us to move forward and not get stuck in the past. It's very hard to make that, you're gonna get, there's, there's the new normal we created, I kind of use that language, but there's the normal, well, what we had before, and now there's the new normal of the crisis mode, week to week, day to day kind of living we've had. So um, it's very hard to create vision. So we've got to you know, intentionally step up, you know, get above the fray and start thinking long term and thinking about things we hadn't been thinking about for a while. So we've got to move beyond adaptation, this is a new pivot, to innovation. And this is a tremendous opportunity to do that. I think any kind of disruption creates an opportunity to try some new things, to make some changes, to pursue some things. And I think um, churches who are not known to love new things um, have an opportunity to try some new things and can get away with it a little bit more now than they could have pre-pandemic. Um, some things people will be open to, they might not have been a year and a half ago because well, some of them aren't even there anymore. The people, some of the people who were, who were gonna be the difficult people may not even be there anymore. 
So how do we move from uh, adaptation to innovation? First, you gotta identify the target. And these are the questions, so this is what I have up here. So, so let, let's just talk about this for a second as we're working through some of these things. Coming out of the pandemic, what's the same? What's different now? What are the opportunities that the differentness has allowed us to pursue? And then what are some of the risks that we would have to overcome? So let's just kind of brainstorm a little bit for the next couple of minutes. What, what's the same? Just throw some things out. What hasn't changed in, because of the pandemic? Yeah. The Lord is the same yesterday. Today and forever, yes. Right, so, so the Lord's the same, the gospel is the same, uh, the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit is the same. All of that is true. What else? Worship, okay. To some degree it is. Yeah, venue might be different, but the, but the, the worship of the Lord, yes. So, okay. More needs of people Sorry, my writing is horrible. You know, and as I've gotten more technologically savvy, I've forgotten how to write. So, not that I ever was good at it, but it's worse now. So I'm like, yeah, it's just, yeah. Let's blame that, right? Um, uh, gospel. What else? Okay. 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 Think about that. What's different now? What's changed in in the last year and a half, two years since you know since the general assembly I did two years ago, wherever I was, where were we? Were we here? Colorado. Colorado. Yes. What's different now? How people receive content. Okay. Content delivery is, and reception is different. Okay. Context. Okay. I think the church has embraced technology. Okay. Buildings. Go ahead. Scott. Thank you, Bob. Uh, the buildings aren't as important as you thought they were. Okay. This is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're just not willing to, like you said, they're angry. Like, some people's thresholds are different. Right. Because they wouldn't have if they're not coming up. Right. Yeah, I was reading something about how, um, like, at supermarket checkouts, people are, like, punching the, because they didn't, they weren't, they were going to provide something, they weren't going to provide something that they had previously done. So, yeah, so tolerance. I think there's been a cultural change that the churches are having to respond to. Yeah, what, tell me more about that. What? Um, I, I mean, it, it feels like there, the divisions that were there already are deeper, yeah. further apart. Polarized. Yeah, polarized. I was, I was going to say, uh, there's a sense for the preciousness of together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Great. Appreciate uh, community, maybe. Is that way to say that? And I will put a qualifier to that. Okay. Those who are coming back appreciate community. Yeah. On the other hand, there's a group that kind of like going to church in pajamas <laughs> and would like to stay that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So all those are good. So as you think about the landscape then with these things that are the same, right? Jesus, the needs of people, gospel's the same. It's the buildings are still there for most churches who didn't lose their building in this time. What are the opportunities that are given to us in this season that may not have been there two years ago? A wider reach. Okay. 
spiritual hunger of okay. So change has become normal because we've had to do so much of it. There's a, and there's a tolerance level that not everybody can, you can only handle so much change, but there might be a broader, a more tolerance. There's a lot of skills and programs that needed to die. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll talk about that in a second, yeah. Uh, they're pruned, let's call it pruning, okay. Yes. Good. That's great. And I think it also churches are forced to have to look at the way they're operating and say, is there a better way of doing mm -hmm. what we're doing? We have to do something different to be successful and we're forced to have to look at those things. Yeah. Right. It's easy just to, this, we've been doing this. All right. I, those are great. I was going to do, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I think it was a call also to focus on the younger generation a little bit. Yes. Older, yes. hiring practices as well as uh, outreach. That's great. That's great. I found interesting, yeah, I don't know how that's where this goes, but where the older folks enjoyed the tech because now they could, they could be there more, like especially our shut-ins and stuff. Mm -hmm. Kids were sick of it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because they did it all. Yeah. Said, we don't want any more Zoom meetings. They were the ones who, who kept going. To, they begged us to let us use the building throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Because they were having to do school and everything else. They said, the last thing I want to do is yeah. a relationship with Jesus Christ through this. Yep. So they were, yeah. It's all so it was kind of, it was an interesting flip. Yeah. The, 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 I think the dichotomy between generational, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all the generations, you know, whether you go from whatever the new one is, the newest one is, you know, Gen Z and then the millennials, the Gen, what is it? What's alpha? Yeah, let's just do this. Keep going around. Let's go right back to the beginning of the, um, so in Gen Alpha all the way up through you know the bo the boomers right. There's five generations, so the, um, every generation's handling that change a little differently and has a little different set of needs, and that's caused us to actually ask those questions, which decides why some of the I think some of the branding media stuff that has become more prevalent is like we can't just pander or cater to a certain demographic because the way they receive information or the way they like to be talked to. All right, um, that's, opportunity, yeah. You know, opportunity to reach people who were before shut-ins and couldn't, were receiving ministry, now can, mm -hmm. because we have the technology to right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about refocusing the vision. But, you know, some of the stuff is, you know, all of that, it kind of feeds into what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. I think if instead of focusing uh, on uh, number one, what you shouldn't be focusing on is getting back to normal. I hear this a lot, like, oh, I can't wait to get back to normal. Like, I get in an airplane, I cannot wait to not have to wear this. I just, I, I, and I do it because I have to, because, you know, but man, isn't it nice to be able to walk around with that? So we just want to be back to normal. We want to have the, not have the stress. I don't think that's a compelling vision. Like Vision 2021, getting back to normal. I don't know that's going to get a lot of people excited about it. I think we need to focus on pursuing something new. We need to pursue these opportunities that are available to us now that weren't available to us as, as readily as they were, um, you know, six, 18 months ago, 20 months ago. So we need to pursue something new. So instead of telling people we can't, we're going to be back in the, we'll talk about getting back in the building. We're going to be back. We're going to be better than ever. It's like, I don't know that that moves people. So let's refocus our vision around pursuing something new. Some of the things that you guys have outlined here, pull your people together, do your SWOT analysis. 
have your, you know, get your session together, get your staff together, figure out what are the things we're doing really well right now that we need to lean into? What's the stuff that is not working, that we're struggling with? What are some opportunities that we uh, now see available to us? And let's lean into those things. Let's, and, and I think you can rally people around that because all the, what new opportunities mean is new people being reached for Jesus or people being reached for Jesus in a way that actually helps them to grow. And people get excited about that. You can get people rally behind that. And then that's, that is people, that is money, that is, you know, all the things that we, all the metrics we typically use. So instead of focusing on get, getting back to normal, let's focus on something new. That's a compelling vision and figure out what that is. Another thing we shouldn't focus on is getting people back to the building for worship. I just think that's not a compelling vision. It's great to have people back, and I, and I see people coming back to worship. Um, but I don't see people coming back. They're not going to come back for your sermon, right? Because they can get better per sermons, no offense, other places, right? Like, we all know that. Those of us who, you know, who used to speak for a living or do currently, there's some people out there that are amazing, that we listen to because we love them, and we wish we could be them, but we're not. So, so let's not try and think, oh, how do we get people back in our building for worship? Let's do more reaching people where they are. People will come back, as we were talking about, right? There's the 20% who never left. Although those people, just parenthetically, those 20% that never left were your volunteers, who when this all ended, like they were... They were the people who were showing up to do ushering for the few people who were there. They were doing setup if you, have, if you were meeting outdoors, right? As soon as this ended, which happens, you know, when, when there's a lot of intensity, now they're tired. They don't want, they want someone else to step up. So that 20% who you haven't lost, they're going to keep coming, but they're not going to necessarily keep serving. So you've got to generate, got to, you know, you're going to need to at least give them a, some time off and begin to recruit new leaders. So. Let's start um, thinking, how do we get outside the walls? This is an opportunity that I think, you know, I mentioned that that's one of the movements we're seeing is away from attraction to missional. But what are some ways that we can become the church that is indispensable to our community? What about the church that is like when the, ch when the school has a need, they go, let's go to Ward Church because they get us and they want to, they, they've been there in the past and they want to be there in the future and let's get people mobilized around that. People will get excited about getting outside the walls. Let's go find those people who aren't, who the, the people who never come to our church, but maybe have observed you know, us online. Let's go to where they are. I was talking to a guy yesterday and he was like, and this probably works in a Presbyterian circle. It doesn't work in Baptist circles. He goes, he said, um, I started a theology on tap with young adults. I found, I found a, a, a bar that had a big room upstairs and we all sat around and had beer and we talked about Jesus and I got to introduce Jesus to a bunch of people who didn't know him. So that was the old alpha model, which was let's go to a pub and talk about Jesus over, over a pint, right? Let's get creative about how do we get to where they are because they're not gonna necessarily come to us. It's hard, it was hard enough for people to come to church when they, when they felt uncomfortable, right? Let's make it easy for us to go to them. So let's think about that as an opportunity. I think that's where the, I think we can focus a vision around getting outside our walls because it's not compelling to say, come back to church. If you are going to do that, um, create something new that gives them a reason to come to church that's beyond what, just what happens in the, in the worship room. Well, I, was at, I was at that church where um, I was telling about that guy who decided to retire a little earlier than he had planned. And uh, it was their first weekend back. And um, so I'm sitting in there because I was just attending the service, observing and doing some, you know, doing my research. And, uh, and they had a, they, they said, well, we're going to greet one another. And I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, I'm a Presbyterian. I know how that works. Okay. And I'll sit back, you know, I'm going to sit back in my, my pew, my chair. I'll, I'll turn around, right? And I'll do these. I mean, there were people running across the room talking to people. Like it was, it was like a, it was the relationships is what they missed. They missed the relationships. So how can we create opportunities for relationships to be developed if it's on site? Let's get them to come in for something else. Because I'm really pretty convinced that people, you know, or, or, or do something about our worship. Let's make our worship 
like something and, and not to be missed. It's, again, it's not going to be the sermon because they can get better sermons and they can hear better music. But can they have an experience with Jesus? I think there's something compelling about a, a, when the Holy Spirit is alive in a room and people are engaged in worship. I think God does something there. So I don't know what it is because it's going to be different in every context. But let's think about if we're going to ask people to come back, let's do something new, something different that's going to be compelling and inviting for them, why they would give them a reason to come back and give them a reason to stay. It's going to be the relationships. It might be um, an opportunity to connect with other people. I don't know. It might be the worship, the worship experience, not so much the preaching because they can get better preaching somewhere else. You know, they're all watching Andy Stanley or whatever. So um, another thing we shouldn't focus on, doing the same things only better. Right? Let's, you know, oh, we're back. This is the back to normal thing. We're back to normal. So now we do, we have our high school ministry and we meet on Wednesday nights and we have our, you know, our children are doing, you know, orange and they do it on, and we do our VBS in the summer and we're going to do the, we're going to do the best VBS we've ever done. And it's going to be, um, or we're going to do a women's event and it's going to be amazing um, because that's what we've always done. Our retreat this year is going to be great. So instead of thinking like that, which is, again, nothing wrong with that, but let's think about evaluating, eliminating, and innovating in alignment with our mission. This is the opportunity we all dream about when we're in pastoral ministry. How do I get rid of stuff? You know, how do I stop doing stuff we know we shouldn't be, we, that's not creating a return? And people aren't going to be as mad about it because they haven't had it for a year and a half. So let's start thinking, okay, every ministry that we are engaged in, let's, you all have a mission statement. You have a vision, right? I mean, I'm guessing that you have a mission, vision, values, and you've, it's on your website and your staff maybe knows it. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's something you need to work on, but then say, okay, if this is our mission, one is the vision. Is it big enough? Is it compelling? Can it be, can we live it out? And then, okay, well, is this men's retreat that we do every year? Is that doing what we said it was supposed to do? Does it, is it aligned with our mission? Is it just, and if it, maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. Evaluate everything, everything. And that's not just your, um, your ministries, but also your people. Some people that are working on your staff probably, you know, may not fit in this next season. They need to be evaluated in light of where you're going, not where you've been. So are there some people on your staff that need to make, maybe make a transition? And maybe you've been holding on to them because, well, it's COVID and how do we let somebody go during COVID? And I, don't, I can't fault that. But if you're going to make a, begin to make a dent, you're going to have to evaluate people in light of where we're going, not just where we've been and trying to be pastoral towards people who you know, are in need. So as you're coming out of that, start thinking, and then what are the positions that we don't have that we need to have? So those things that these opportunities that are now here. So I'm doing at this moment of the, I don't know, 20 or so searches that I'm doing in various stages, I've probably got four searches I'm doing that are around mission, outreach, and engagement outside the walls. And they were like, because they looked at their staff and they realized, and they looked at coming out of COVID and they said, that's the thing we're missing. We need somebody who can catalyze ministry outside our walls. So they're hiring those things. Uh, we're doing a ton, I'm not, but uh, our team is doing a ton around marketing, technology, branding, communications. I mean, from you know, huge churches out in California, you know, 20, 30,000 to small churches in, you know, somewhere in the South. Everybody's going like how, we, don't, we haven't had this person because we didn't think we needed it, now we need it. So evaluate your staff and what you have and what you don't have. If you have somebody on your team that you can shift into this role, do it, consider it. If you don't, go find them. Again, I'm not saying we're gonna do your search for you, but we'd be happy to help. So we're doing that kind of stuff. So how do you, so evaluate and then innovate. What are some things, new things that you, know, that you could do, not just to add ministry programming, Kill some things, add some things. Add some things that are more in line with the vision that God might be calling you to. And again, um, this is for staff people. This goes back to a, a bit about um, what I'm seeing among staff. 
I'm a, I was an executive pastor, so I was all about, are you doing your job? Are you doing your job well? Are you reaching the, you know, are you hitting your goals? Are you reaching your metrics? Are you, like, that was my thing. Like, I wanted to make sure people were on target. But, but at this stage, I would shy away from the what and the how of, your, of how, what your staff is accomplishing, because they're burned out and tired and things like that. So let's lean away from that and let's focus on building an irresistible workplace. So your staff has been working remotely. Some of them like it. Some of them miss being together. Some of them are dreading coming back, not just because of COVID and the risk and the, but it's, it hasn't been a fun place to work and they're tired and they're depressed. So instead of thinking about how do we, you're gonna, you're gonna do the metrics and do all those kinds of things and you're gonna drive them a little bit, but create an irresistible workplace. I think the vision, I think give people, a, similar as you give people a reason to come back on Sunday, is give your staff a reason to come in. Give your staff a reason to be there. Like, I work remotely. I'm in my, I'm in my office like once every, once a month, maybe once every three weeks to and I poke, poke my head in because, you know, we're, I'm on the road a lot. Man, those are indispensable times for me. Like, I miss those people. But um, is it, an, you know, it, do I need to be there? I don't. I choose to be. I want my. I would want my workplace to be a place that people would choose to be with, even if they didn't need to be there. <laughs> that they want to come to work. They get excited about being together. So, what can you do? What's your vision for creating an irresistible workplace? For creating a culture that people go, man, this is the best place to work. I can imagine being anywhere else. When they're thinking about making a move because they want to be closer to family, it's a hard decision because they think, I just can't leave these people the people I serve and the people I serve with, I just can't leave it because this is such an amazing place. And then you know that if they leave, it's because, <laughs> because God called them and not because they just wanted to get out. So I've kind of gone over a little bit. I want to be sure that I leave a little bit of time. So um, just some ideas. I mean, I'm, you know, this is just stuff I've observed and, and been learning about. But any questions or thoughts about anything that we've talked about? Yeah. Just one comment. Talk a lot about staff and stuff, but when you're in a small church, you are the staff. So mm -hmm. it becomes more challenging. Be good to yourself. Yeah. And I'd say, you, at that point, I would talk to your session about and and just get real about what your what your needs are and the and the weight that you've been carrying because it's really hard. I mean, you've been solo pastors, man. Golly, or or small church, it's been brutal. I know. So be, be real and honest and open about it and, see if, and let them know. And if they need to talk to somebody, send them to me because I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell them how hard it's been. Yeah. I've actually got three staff retiring this year. Um, and one, one's already gone. Two more I need to work on their transitions. Do you have any advice about transitioning people out as you're then bringing people in? Yeah. Um, I'm... It depends on the reason, right? So, I mean, we spend a lot of time. We, we tell, you know, I do succession planning all the time. So we're always saying, like, you need to have a plan for all your staff to, for succession, right? It's not just your senior pastor. It's for everybody in your team. Emergency succession planning as well as long-term succession planning, especially when you see it coming. So it, it might be too late for this, but, you know, A, well, one, is this a role that is going to, that you need and is going to continue? Because if it's a role that you don't need and it's not going to continue, then hallelujah. And, you know, that's a, that opens up a space. If it is going to continue, then how have you prepared the next person? Is it a hire or is it internal? I'm a big fan of, you know, it goes against, like, my business. But I would rather have you hire someone inter internally who knows your DNA and knows the ministry than go outside. You go outside when you're like, we don't have this person and we, can't, and we don't know how to find them. And so that's when you come to us. But if you've got a person that's been teed up and ready to go and has already been learning the ropes so that the handoff becomes smooth, that's the best way to transition somebody. Um, be kind. You know, I'm always like, be very generous. People who have sacrificed a lot. I'm guessing that anybody who's worked for, for a church has been underpaid for their entire career. So be good to them when they leave because, you know, give them a little bonus or give them a separate, something that says we appreciate the sacrifices you've made because they, they did make a sacrifice. So, yeah. Could you elaborate on how to build an irresistible workplace? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a book we wrote called Culture Wins, okay. which I would recommend. Um, 
I did a whole workshop on it last last time I was here on, on culture, on building culture. But I would go, um, yeah, it is, uh, it's, it's. So in full disclosure, so we have an executive director, like an executive yeah, director, yeah, yeah. basically retiring. And I think one of the challenges, if I could speak honestly, uh, for our next executive director would be how to create a culture that's, you know. Winsome. More, yeah, more irresistible and people want to be at more and not feel like they're, yeah, I see that a lot. Um, yeah, I see that a lot. Yeah, you can kind of track it. Um, you you watch how long people stay, and you can kind of find the the you know what are the common denominators. And sometimes it's just it's not a fun place to be. So, um, but yeah, we've like we wrote a book on it. Um, it's called Culture Wins, and it's it gives you it'll give you a, a, some good tools. And we've also got a bunch of stuff. Like go to our website, and um, we've got a bunch of stuff on culture. On our website and our blogs, so. Look up best Christian workplaces too. Best Christian yep. workplaces. It's a uh, you know survey your staff take, and it's it was pretty humbling. Uh, yeah. Did. But it gives you it gives some yeah. uh, new, uh, metrics now to kind of. Yeah. Set yeah, and we do a we do a, we have a culture survey that we offer um, as well, that um, evaluates based on you know a bunch of metrics and parameters and gives good feedback. Um, I use it a lot when I'm doing succession planning because I want to find out where the alligators are laying in wait, and or I'm doing it for I'm doing staff staff consulting because you find out um, where there's unhealth or where there are problems brewing that you didn't know were there. So you create you know Christian workplaces. We have a tool. You know there are other things that are out there, so you can evaluate. And you get and you get objective data, right? You get some anecdotal stuff. If people are honest, whew, anonymously they say some things. You're like, man. Okay. Just hope hope you didn't know who actually said that. Well, I appreciate you guys. I don't want to keep you any longer. I know you have a lot to do, but thank you so much for being part of this. And if I can answer other questions, I'm happy to do it. So thanks for being a part of it.